The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So, welcome back. Jim very nicely outlined the three right intentions that we can bring to our lives. Uh, Goodwill and compassion and renunciation. And it's... I felt so inspired because it's, it's difficult to convey uh, just how central right intention really is. I, uh, there's a nice phrase that I, I think of, and the person who quoted it to me said it was from the Dalai Lama, but I couldn't confirm that, so I'll just, <laughs> I'll just quote it, which is that the quality of an action lies not in its outcome, but in its motivation. And that's... Um, it's, it's worth reflecting on. And also I noticed a nice phrase in Gill's essay for this month, which you're going to receive by email. He says, The intentions we live by have major consequences in shaping our lives, character, and psychological well-being. It is invaluable to reflect deeply about what intentions are most important. These can be the compasses for our life. Sure. Uh, yeah. Let me repeat those quotes. So, the quality of an action lies not in its outcome, but in its motivation. And motivation is another word for intention in that sentence. And then from Gill's essay, the intentions we live by have major consequences in shaping our lives, character, and psychological well-being. It is invaluable to reflect deeply about what intentions are most important. These can be the compasses for our lives. So right now, I'd like to bring some attention to the topic of intention in our own spiritual life. So why do you sit? Why do you practice mindfulness? What is your intention in undertaking a spiritual path? What is your deepest intention? You don't have to know the answer to these questions. Um, but it is useful to reflect on them. Jim mentioned that also, that you know, he had done some reflection practice early on and that um, really sitting down and looking at the motivation for his life. And in particular, I'm bringing attention to our motivation to practice. For some people, the motivation to practice is very clear. Um, possibilities include things like healing, uh, finding calmness or tranquility, uh, developing equanimity, inner strength, clarity, or liberation from suffering. For others, questions about motivation feel kind of vague, they're not really sure, or they're not even interesting questions. It's helpful also to know how you relate to a question like that. Sometimes um, people even shy away from having a particular intention. I had this tendency early in my practice is that I felt challenged by being asked, why do you do this? And I, I didn't want to answer. Um, and I don't know if this was my reason, but it's, I've heard people say that intention sounds like desire. And I thought Buddhism was about letting go of desires, you know, supposed to not have any desires, that's the cause of suffering, etc., 
Um, but there are plenty of healthy desires. Um, the Buddha did not say that desire is evil. The desire to be free, the desire to help another, these are very healthy desires. They motivate renunciation and compassion. <laughs> those, are, those are renunciation and compassion. Of course, there are lots and lots of intentions. As you start looking at your mind and at your life and at your practice, you'll find actually that there are lots of intentions. But recall that there are the three right intentions of goodwill, compassion, and renunciation. So one way that can be helpful in approaching questions like why are you practicing or what, you know, what is your motivation is to, to frame that in terms of what you're letting go of. So, for example, to achieve peace, if peace is of interest to you, you may have to let go of anxiety, because anxiety, you'll notice, is not a very peaceful state. To heal your relationship to your body, you may have to stop hating the way your body is. Yeah? That's not very conducive to having a good relationship. Hate. You know that between people, and the same is true between you and your body, for example. So basically, we look for the dukkha that we are causing, and then intend to let go of that. Now that sounds very simple, um, kind of obvious in some ways, but we may not know right away what needs to be let go of. If we knew that... (laughs) we would do it, right? Or we would at least know what to do. And many of us uh, are on the path with a little bit of a sense of, I don't quite know what to do. That's what I'm here for. Aren't you going to tell me? (laughs) You know? Um, So that's okay. I want to say also that that's okay. Uh, There may be periods of great clarity in our practice where we're really certain what we're doing, why we're doing it, we know. And there can be periods of fuzziness in practice fuzziness, um, uncertainty, lack of clarity exactly about why we're doing it, but we do it anyway. Uh, We get up and we sit anyway. Um, So these are, I point this out as an area of practice. Our intentions are an area of practice. The Eightfold Path is to be developed, and so that means that it changes. The part, the components of it change over time. Our relationship to them change over time. Our understanding of each step of the path changes over time. So it's important to realize that our motivation to practice may also change over time. It's not that you're trying to answer that question once and for all and then you march down the path and you're on your way. These are things for ongoing reflection what we thought was our intention might change. And that doesn't mean the previous one was wrong. <laughs> it means that we've grown. You know, you're, you have different desires and motivations than you, you did when you were five years old and when you were 15 years old and when you were 25 years old. Not because those were wrong things to care about when you were five, 15, and 25, but it's different now. So please be aware that that will happen along the path also. When I began practicing, I came to the path um, in a state of great suffering uh, related to my body because I had some illness going on and I was uh, troubled by what was happening there. 
And I didn't have a lot of clarity. That was, you know, it, was, it had caused such a stir in my mind that I hardly knew. <laughs> I hardly knew what I was doing. I was fortunate to, to find, you know, to find teachers that could help. Um, and so my initial motivation, if I'd been asked that question, um, would have been very personal and, and direct. You know, I, I want, I want my body to be better, or I want to understand what's happening, or I want to regain control in some way. Um, and that was, that was enough, you know, that was the guidepost at that moment. Um, over time, I found other things coming into my mind. It wasn't that I finished with that completely and then cleanly started with the next intention. They, they, they kind of came in together, and I began to um, feel as I developed the, the right intentions, particularly compassion, um, then that led to some clarity. The nice thing about intention is having the right intentions increases the amount of clarity in our mind. And so then I could get a little bit wider view and I could start to see more uh, universal motivations for my practice. Oh, you know, it's not just me who's suffering. A lot of people suffer and a lot of people are going through these interesting things. And illness is a common feature for many humans. (laughs) And so I started to see that there were other reasons to practice. Um, I started to broaden also into wanting to let go of what was causing me so much suffering around my body. You know, what is it, what am I grasping at? You know, it's not just about getting this to go away. I want to know why I was clinging. I want to let go of that tendency so that if something else happens in the future, this can't happen again to my mind. And so that started to be my motivation. And then I started to want to develop the whole path. Oh, how can I improve my speech? How can I improve my concentration so that I can sit better and start to feel some of that peace on the cushion? Other things started to come in. It was very interesting to watch this process and I hope that the same thing may happen as you consider these questions for yourselves. Paul Haller, who is a Zen priest, has said that the path of practice is like an ongoing refinement of our intention. It's interesting, and and I like the way he places intention so centrally. You know, that was the point I made at the beginning. Intention is central to what we're doing to every action that we take, there's, you know, there, almost all actions have an intention behind them. So an ongoing refinement of our intention. So it's a good idea from time to time to check in with ourselves about why we're practicing and is the way we're practicing serving our intention, serving our deepest intention. And what is my intention now? Is it the same as it was a year ago? Generally, the aim is to let go. <laughs> just to be to add some positive clarity to what I've you know I've presented something sort of large and spacious but generally the aim is to find out where we're clinging and to let go Ajahn Shah says if you let go a little you'll have a little peace if you let go a lot you'll have a lot of peace <laughs> and if you let go completely you'll have complete peace so right now we're going to have an opportunity with each other to examine why we practice, and in particular, what we let go of through the practice of sitting meditation. So I want, 
you know, I want, we talked previously about our lives in general. Now let's look a little bit more specifically at why we're practicing the path. You know, is it something, what is that motivation? Can we imagine um, personal motivations of various kinds, things to, things that this practice is going to heal immediately? Maybe we're looking towards larger motivations. Maybe we're looking towards liberation from suffering. If the Buddha did it, I can do it. <laughs> so we're going to use a technique called a repeated question, and Diana will introduce that to you. It's an opportunity to get past our surface-level responses down to something a little bit deeper. So I hope you'll engage with it at a way that feels comfortable for you and really take this as an opportunity that you don't get very often to examine a little more deeply what's going on in your heart. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. So as she said, we're going to do something a little bit different in our breakout group. So instead of a group, we're just going to break out into dyads, just two people, in order to accommodate everybody. You can take chairs out into the social hall, or some people can be here in the conference room or something. And then how this is going to work is that um, the person with the shortest hair begins... And everybody's going to be looking for somebody who has longer hair, perhaps. But the person with the shortest hair begins, and they will ask a question. I will give you the question in a moment. They ask the question. The other person answers. The first person with the shorter hair says, thank you. This is important. Say thank you. And then gently ask the exact same question again. The second person answers. The first person says, thank you. Then they ask the exact same question again. Guess what happens? The person answers. You say, thank you, and ask the question. And the first time I did this, I found it was really lovely, actually. At first, I thought, this is silly. I know what the answer is. I don't need to respond repeatedly. But there's something beautiful that can happen when we kind of relax it's okay if there's some silence that happens while the, pers- the second person who's answering the question is sitting with the question. So, and it's um, the first person just repeatedly say thank you no matter what the person says. You don't need to say anything else. And then just ask the question again. And then we'll ring a bell when it's time to switch partners. So here's the question. Why do you sit? Why do you meditate? Why do you sit? You can choose one version of those 